Psalm 67, verse number 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity. And you guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. What we have in Psalm 67 is a prayer. And it's specifically a prayer for global missions. Of course, the purpose of a weekend like we've had together as a church family is so that we can come together and strengthen our focus as a church on God's gospel work around the world. And our part that we are to play in that work of global missions. And it's my opinion that the first step to strengthening that focus is by personally renewing our zeal to pray for missions. To pray for missions. And we pray about a lot of things. We pray that God would give us good health. We pray that God would meet our needs financially. We we pray that God would open up doors of opportunity for us provisionally. But do we pray for missions? Do we pray for the work of the gospel here and around the world? It's interesting, Jesus certainly gave us that example when he directly requested for his disciples to pray for missions. In fact, some would even argue that it's the only prayer request that God ever gave, that is Jesus. And certainly Jesus gives us patterns of what we ought to pray for as we see in the Lord's Prayer, but it's hard-pressed to find another New Testament passage where Jesus specifically asked his disciples to pray for this. And here's what he requested prayer for, Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. It's plentiful. It's plentiful. That is, there there are a lot of opportunities where you work and where you live in this world. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Well, who is the Lord of the harvest? It is Jesus who has all authority over the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus says, pray for missions. 
pray for the harvest of the gospel. Pray for a global impact in the lives of all people, all nations, about the name of Jesus Christ. So I think as often we reflect as we do anything here in our ministry, I often come back on Monday or the day following an event or an emphasis and well, what, is, what is the result? What is, what is the fruit? Have we seen to fruition what we aspired to achieve? And I think one of the gauges to determining how well you and I yielded our hearts to the emphasis of this weekend is whether or not we have renewed our focus to at the very least pray for missions. Pray for missions. Now here in Psalm 67, verse 1 should sound familiar to us. Uh, th- this is the traditional prayer of blessing by the nation of Israel, and it's rooted in God's covenant promise with Abraham. All the way back in uh, Genesis chapter 12, when God said to Abraham in verse 2, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's plan from the beginning is for all the nations of the world to be blessed. He wants all nations of the world to be blessed, and he chose for that blessing to come Through one particular nation, through one particular people, the people of Israel. And we know, of course, from the whole of Scripture that the fulfillment of this covenant promise, that this blessing that would come through the nation of Israel, that would come through the Jewish people, that would in result bless the Gentiles also, all the nations of the world, the fulfillment of that covenant promise is in Jesus Christ. Christ, the Son of God. So, the context of this prayer of blessing in verse 1 to the rest of the psalm is simply that God would fulfill His promise to use them to be a blessing to the mission. That's why they begin here in verse 1, asking God to bless us. Be gracious to us. Make your face to shine upon us. Lord, you've made a promise that through us, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, that all the world would be blessed by the mission that you have created us to receive. And so we are praying, we are asking you, God, to fulfill that promise and use us as you said you would to be a blessing to your purpose, to be a blessing to your mission. And I think it's a prayer here that we should not only look at historically from the standpoint of the Jewish people, I think it's a prayer that we should ought to pay a great deal of attention to as we ourselves, the people of God, learn how to better pray for global missions. Well, if we're going to better pray for global missions, then we need to be certain that we know 
what God's ultimate purpose is for this world. And here in Psalm 67, we are given a beautiful summary of God's purpose for this world. God has purposed, according to Psalm 67, that all nations of the earth will know him, that all nations of the earth will enjoy him, and that all nations of the earth will glorify him. That is God's purpose for this world, that all the nations of the earth will know him, that they will enjoy him, and that they will glorify him. We see that in every verse of Psalm 67. And that's why we have missions. We have missions so that all nations will know God, will enjoy God, and will glorify God. Uh, Piper, John that is, uh, not the little bird on the Disney movie, Uh, John Piper said it this way, uh, missions exist because worship doesn't. Now think about that for a moment. Missions exist to all the world because much of the world does not worship God. So, so you put this down into why we put so much of an emphasis on global missions and taking the gospel of the world. Because I believe what Piper is saying in that statement is what we recognize to be true in Psalm 67. That we need to pray for global missions. Because among the nations, there exist people who do not know God. And subsequently, they cannot enjoy God. And they do not glorify God. So missions exist because people don't know God. And they don't worship God. And they don't enjoy God. And they don't glorify God. And so Psalm 67 tells us that we need to pray for global missions because God has purpose for all the nations to know Him. To enjoy Him. To glorify Him. So, so let's get to the prayer. And let us use this as very practical way to strengthen our own hearts on how to pray for missions, how to lead your children to pray for missions, how that we as a church can constantly be praying for missions. So first of all, and just three things here that we see, number one, uh, we pray that all nations will know God and His saving power. How do we pray for missions? Psalm 67 shows us. We pray that all the nations will know God and his saving power. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. The prayer is this, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That, that, that's a very important point. All right, we're asking God to be gracious to us. We're asking him to bless us. We're asking him to shine his face upon us for a reason. And the reason is, verse 2, that his way may be known on earth, that his saving power will be known among all nations. We're not necessarily asking God to bless us so that we can be in a better shape financially. It's not the prayer 
We're not asking God to make his face shine upon us so that we can be better known by others. No, asking God to bless us is so that he will be known and so that his salvation power will be understood. So what to pray is clear. As we pray for missions, we say, oh God, among all nations, may people come to know you and may people come to know your saving power. Of course, more specifically, I wrote down here, the nations need to know that he is the one true and living God. The nations need to know that he is the one true and living God. That's what he says in verse 2, that your way may be known on the earth. That your way may be known on the earth. Let's, let's make it more specifically, that, that your way may be known in my family. That your way may be known where I work. That your way may be known in my community, in my relationships. Lord, we are praying that all nations, all nations will know that you are the one true and living God. The work of missions is not an aim to get people to become religious and then worship the gods of their choosing. That's not the work of missions. The work of missions is to declare to the world that there is only one true and living God. Jeremiah chapter 10, 10, but the Lord is the true God. The Lord is the true God. He is the living God. He is the everlasting King. Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord. There is no other. Besides me, there is no God. And of course, Scripture is clear that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the earthly expression of the one true and living God. And that is God, who is a spirit, became man. God, who is a spirit, became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and expressed to us the glory of the one true and living God. John 1.14, he became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Whose glory? The glory of the Father. The glory of the Father. Jesus said in John chapter 14, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Of course, Hebrews expounds on this eloquently. Chapter 1 and verse 3, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. That is, he is the expressed image of God, the God who is a spirit, the God in whom we cannot see. We see him in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is God. He is him. And as it relates to missions and the world knowing the one true and living God, Jesus brings the world to a crossroads. That's always the issue, isn't it? And Jesus prepared us for that. It's not so much an issue to talk about God. Most everybody talks about God. But they don't mean our God. Our God is Jesus. And the crossroads of knowing 
the one true and living God is whether or not we believe that the one true and living God is Jesus Christ. So we take Jesus Christ into the world and we tell all nations that Jesus Christ is the one true and living God. Because here's the crossroads. Jesus said in Luke 10, 16, the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. God has purpose for the nations to know him. And the way that the nations will know him is through Jesus Christ. I also wrote down here that the nations need to know the power and grace of his salvation. The nations need to know the one true and living God, and the nations need to know the power and grace of his salvation. Again, the latter part of verse 2, not only do we need to know your way, but we need to know your saving power, your saving power. And of course, to acknowledge the need for God's saving power is to first understand why we need his saving power. It's always the great dilemma, isn't it? To try to help somebody understand that they need to be saved without them realizing, at least in their own minds, their need for saving. So we have to understand that we need to be saved, that we're drowning, that we're dead. So that we can realize why God brought his saving power. Of course, I remind you from the book of Romans, chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible says the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the punishment for sin is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, against all unrighteousness. That is, God's just and holy wrath is the result of our unjust and unholy sin. And the Bible says not only is the wrath of God being poured out right now as he sovereignly chooses to give some up to their unrighteousness and ungodliness, but there is coming a day when the fullness of God's wrath will be poured out against all who are ungodly, all who are unrighteous. And the Bible says in the book of Romans, it will be a day of fury. That's the bad news. But the good news for the nations is that God, who is just, God, who is holy, is also gracious. And he is also merciful. And he has provided a way for the nations to be saved from his wrath. And God's gracious salvation is revealed to us in the gospel. The gospel, the gospel, which Paul says in Romans number one, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, not just the Jew, but to any nation of the earth. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is anchored in the substitutionary death of Jesus. That he didn't die this universal death so that we could do whatever we want to do. We're all somehow escaping. No, it's, it's coming to the understanding that he died in my place. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sakes God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. So the heart of the gospel message is this. This is what the nations need to know. They need to know that God will save you from your sin and your guilt and your condemnation by grace through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And that message remains the same for all people. That's why we can come together and send people and resources to France. Because the people in France get saved the same way that the people in America get saved. And the people in Nicaragua get saved the same way that the people in America get saved. It's a message for all nations to know that God can save them and will save them if they will come to faith in Jesus Christ and receive his grace. But how will the nations know God and how will they know his saving power unless we go? How will they know unless we sin? That's the message of Romans 10, right? How will they hear without a preacher? How can they preach unless somebody get them to the place where they need to preach? And this is why prayer is such an important discipline in our Christian life. Because often God will stir our hearts. Listen very carefully. Often God will stir our hearts about that which we pray for. Often God will stir our hearts about that which we pray for. I am convinced that those among us who are most passionate about the gospel work of worldwide missions are those who actually pray for the gospel work of worldwide missions. And so it's why it's so important. We need to pray that the nations will know God. We need to pray that the nations will know His saving power because it is through our prayer that God either calls us to go or God gives us the comfort and assurance of being able to help others get to those places in which we are praying for. So how do we pray for global missions? We pray that all the nations will know God and His saving power. We Secondly, we pray that all the nations will be glad in God. That all the nations will be glad in God. That brings us to verses uh, 4 and 5. Let the nations be glad. Let them sing for joy. For, for you judge the people with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. In other words, let the nations enjoy God. Enjoy God. I hope you enjoy God. If you do not enjoy fellowship with God, it may mean that you do not know God. Because enjoying God is a direct result of knowing God. To know Him is to enjoy Him. Now the psalmist mentions two specific reasons why the nations who know God can be glad in God. We've touched on one already, but let us just hit it in a more specific sense. And that is the fact we enjoy God because God is just. That doesn't make sense because, Pastor, when I think about his justice, I think about all the wrath and the condemnation and the punishment that he's pouring out. So how does that make me enjoy him? Well, listen, listen carefully, okay? Because look at what he says in verse 4. He says, we're going to be glad in God and we're going to sing for joy because we know that he judges the people with equity. So let us be glad in God and let us sing for joy because the one true and living God is a just God. He saves all who come to him the same way. That's what makes him just. Because the wrath of God had to be satisfied. It had to be satisfied. That is, sin had to be punished. But instead of his wrath being punished in us, his people. He 
was satisfied by putting his wrath into the perfection of Jesus Christ. And the wrath of God was satisfied when Jesus Christ shed his blood and died in the place of sinners, thereby taking upon himself sin's fullest punishment, God's deepest fury. And all who come to Jesus Christ by faith alone will receive equal grace. Think about that for a moment. All who come to Christ by faith alone receive equal grace to stand before God in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And since he saves all sinners the same way, then we can be glad to know that it is not on the basis of my skin color because he saves all people the same way. It's not on the basis of my intellectual capacity, thanks be to God. Because I don't have to have a significant level of IQ in order to qualify for His grace. No, He saves smart people and He saves dumb people. It's not on the basis of my intellectual capacity. It's not on the basis of my skin color. It's not on the basis of my family history. It's not on the basis of what I can offer him. It's not on the basis of how I've done in the department of morality. No, 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 no. We all come to him by faith, and we are all, thanks be to God, saved equally the same way. And the assurance of God's justice is what allows us as people to enjoy that grace. To enjoy that fellowship. That not a person in this room is greater than me. And I am no greater than anybody else. We've all come to Christ the same way. We've all received an equal amount of the same grace. And by that it gives us assurance. To know regardless of what I've done. My background. My sin. My moral issues. That God is just because he put all of that on his son, Jesus, so that he could receive all who will come to him equally. Equally. So God is just. But we're also glad in him. We enjoy him when we remember that God is sovereign. Look at what he says there in verse 4. Not only does he judge the people with equity, but he guides the nations. Oh, think about this. this. This is not guiding the nations like I might would guide you on a tour. Now, I, I think we're supposed to go here. If not, we'll, we'll turn around and go back the other way. No, no, no. This is God guiding the nations because he made the nations, Acts chapter 17. He removes authorities and he sets them up, Daniel chapter 2. He turns the heart of the king wherever he desires, Proverbs 21. You understand? God is sovereignly responsible for all the nations. As we heard last night, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven, all authority on the earth belongs only to him. And guess what? He works out all things according to the counsel of his will. His will, Ephesians chapter 1. 
God is sovereign. Now he uses us. And we must be sensitive to how he uses us. But ultimately, all that is happening in the world is of God's sovereign purposes. Purposes that we may not understand, purposes that we don't want to accept. But it is the result of him guiding the nations. Spurgeon said, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests rest his head at night, giving him perfect peace. So again, as the nations come to know God, they can enjoy God. <laughs> Because he's sovereign. I enjoy his grace. I enjoy his fellowship because he judges all people equally. He saves us all the same way. And I can enjoy his peace. I can sleep tonight. Even though I struggle with that at times. Because he is sovereign. You see, we enjoy the peace of God by knowing... That he is guiding the nations and that all things, even our families, even our lives are under his providential care and his sovereign control. Church, can I just be honest with you? I would have claimed insanity at this point in my life were it not for the biblical doctrine of God's sovereignty. If I actually believed that everything that happens in my life is dependent upon me, I wouldn't want to live this life. We enjoy God. We are glad in God. We rest in God. We have peace from God because I don't have to worry about fixing anything. God is in control. God is guiding the nations. God is guiding our family. God is guiding our church. And, of course, this translates perfectly into our involvement in missions because as we heard Jared so eloquently put last night, we go forward with absolute confidence in the gospel of Jesus because we know and enjoy the truth that God is just and God is sovereign, that he will save sinners, that he will fulfill his promise to build his church. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 14, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. He didn't say, I hope you guys will go out and preach the gospel. No, he's sovereign. He says, I know. It will be proclaimed. How can he know that? Because he's in control of it all. He has the authority over it all. It will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. And guess what? It will be proclaimed throughout the whole world, Jesus said, as a testimony to all nations. So we pray to this end, that all nations will come to know God and his saving power. And as a result, that all nations will enjoy God. They will be glad in God. Uh, let me give you one more way in which we can pray for global missions from Psalm 67. Thirdly, we pray that all nations will give glory to God. Remember, this is God's purpose for the world, to know him, to enjoy him, to glorify him. It's all covered in this prayer of how we pray for the world, how we pray for missions, how we pray for the gospel impact of others. Look at it in verse 3. We're going to skip around a little bit. Look at verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. You say, that sounds familiar. That's right. We've been singing that song all weekend. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 5, he says it again. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So God has purpose for the nations to know him, to enjoy him. And then we see here, fear him, which is emblematic of glorifying him. Glorifying him. 
Let the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you. Let all the nations praise you. Let all the ends of the earth glorify you. And guess what, church family? One day, gathered around the throne of God, this will come to perfect fulfillment. It will. Revelation chapter 7. After this, John said, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. Every nation. All tribes and people groups and languages, they're all standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And here's what they're crying out. Salvation belongs to our God. So Jesus said in Matthew 24, it will be proclaimed and all the nations will testify of knowing God and His saving power. When Jesus brings it to an end, it will be because all the nations have represented in those people groups people who are enjoying him and glorifying him. So it's our objective through global missions for God to use us. This is where we come into play. This is the prayer. This is what the Jewish people were praying before the coming of Christ. God, use us, bless us, be gracious to us, make your face shine upon us, that, that we can fulfill your promise to bless the entire earth, all the nations, through what you've promised to do through us. And we still pray that prayer today. No, we're not Israel, and no, Jesus is not coming through us. He has already come. But what we do pray is that God will use us, that God will use his people to bring Revelation chapter 7 to pass throughout all the world and among all the nations. Why are the Dunlops going to France? Because they believe Revelation chapter 7 says there's coming a day when French people will gather around the throne of God and give glory to God. And so what their prayer is, look, I can live in Greenville the rest of my life, or I could say, God, bless me, be gracious to me, make your face shine upon me so I can go to France and be used of you to fulfill your promise. And it's with that thought I want to finish the sermon. I don't want us to skip over the fact that God blesses us. Think about this. This is Psalm 67, okay? God blesses us in order that we might be in return a blessing to others. Okay? Everything I have belongs to God. That means it is ultimately God's desire to take what I have. However he chooses. And to use it however he desires. Do we pray that way? Do we pray that way? Because this fits right within the context of praying for global missions. Because look at it. Verse 1, verse 1. Okay. May God be gracious to us. May God bless us. May God make his face to shine upon us. That... That all nations will know God in his saving power. That all nations will enjoy God. That all nations will give glory to God. Again, as we've already stated, this is not God be gracious to me. God bless me. God make your face shine upon me that I may be known. That I may be comfortable. That I may get this. That I may get that. No, God bless me that the nations will know you, that they will enjoy you, that they will give you glory. And then we see in verse 6, look at it, verse 6, he says, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us. Therefore, let all the ends of the earth glorify him. Now, I, I think when we see in verse 6 that the earth has yielded its fruit or its increase and God will bless us. 
I think it has a dual meaning. I think first the earth has yielded a spiritual increase in harvest. It has yielded that through the nation of Israel. As we celebrate in the next coming weeks the incarnation of Christ, the earth has yielded forth a blessing to all the world in the person of Jesus Christ. That through the coming of Jesus, God has blessed us and he has given all nations, not just Israel, the opportunity to know him, to enjoy him, and to glorify him in a spiritual relationship. So this has spiritual implications. But many scholars believe this was written also as a harvest psalm. So that means it has material implications. Not just spiritual, but material. So how do we bring that together? We bring that together by understanding the dual meaning here. That not only has God provided for our spiritual needs by giving to us Jesus Christ, but he has also provided the material needs of his people. So when God says here, when the people pray, God will bless us, God will bless us. They say it twice, God will, God will. It has to at least be connected to the fact that God's material blessings on our life is so that we can be a blessing in context to the gospel work among the nations. Now let that just sit here for a moment. God's material blessings on our life is so that we can be a blessing to the gospel work among the nations. The earth has yielded its increase. God will bless us. God will bless us. And the earth will glorify him. God will bless us so that the earth will glorify him. God will bless us. Be gracious to us. Make his face to shine upon my business, my family. My, my, my material belongings, God, God will bless us with that so that we can in return be a blessing to the nations that all the world will know him and enjoy him and glorify him. So Israel was blessed in order to be a blessing and we are blessed in order to be a blessing. And it's all centered in the glory of God, isn't it? Because what he's saying here at the end in verse 7 is that our evangelism is about the glory of God. Our blessings are about the glory of God. Our entire being is for the glory of God. So, so, very practically, when we pray for global missions, it ought to include asking God to use our blessings for His glory among the nations. God, be gracious to me. God, bless me. Make your face shine upon me so that I can use those blessings and that grace and that favor to help the world know that there is one true and living God and he will save any who come to him by faith. That's why we give to missions. It's really a small matter when you think about it, isn't it? It's a small matter. We could, all of us could agree that we could back off on a few white chocolate mochas a month. We really get it out of order, don't we? I know I struggle with it. 
God blesses us, and the first thing we think about is that vacation we've always wanted to take, that house we've always wanted to live in, that car we've always wanted to drive. Lord, bless us, bless us, bless us. Man, the lottery even in recent days has never been as high as it is, isn't it? Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, Pastor, what would you do if you won the lottery? It was number one, I wouldn't tell nobody. <laughs> For multiple reasons. I don't want cousins I ain't heard from in years come calling me and asking like my best buddy all of a sudden. And I don't want you to know I'm gambling. <laughs> it's fun to play those games though, isn't it? I mean, not the gambling. I mean, I mean the men. <laughs> The mental games. That's why, we, that's why we, we get glued into HTV when they have my lottery dream house. We're fascinated by it because we start thinking, yeah, what, what would I do if I won the lottery? Well, first I'm going here and I'm buying this. And some of you, well, you're, you're, you're going you're to make a little bit feel good. I'm going to take care of mama. I'm going you know, to do all this kind of stuff. I'm not suggesting we go play the lottery today, although I won't hold it against you if you do, only if you win. (laughs) But do we actually ask God for blessings for the purpose of his glory in the work of the gospel around the world, or are we just asking him for all these things because we want to be a little bit more comfortable? Our barns aren't as high as we'd like for them to be. Look, I get it. I stopped opening up my retirement account stuff two years ago. I don't want to see it. I don't want to know. I'm going to trust God. He promised to take care of me. Okay? And every blessing that he gives me, past, present, or future, we have to at least stop as a family and say, God, how can we take this material thing in our life and now help it to be a blessing to the work of your gospel in other people's lives. Time, talent, treasures. And this is how we're supposed to pray. And that's where we conclude. May God be gracious to us. And may God bless us and make his face to shine upon us that his saving power may be known among all nations and that the nations will be glad and sing for joy and that all the ends of the earth will glorify him. And how could God not answer a prayer like that when he's already promised that it was going to happen? Thanks be to God. Let's stand together for prayer this morning.